My name is Ed Sherman. I'm an elder here at LEFC, and I'm also the director of intercultural studies at Lancaster Bible College down the road. Um, we came back from the mission field uh, in 2010 after spending 23 years in Southeast Asia. And um, when you live in a, a, a different, many different cultures for that long, you start to learn how to play some of the games that are necessary to play cross-culturally at times. We also learned that as an American, you are perceived. Um, maybe some of you have seen the book or read the book called The Ugly American. It's based on a reputation that is earned. Um, think about the, oftentimes, how many times have I heard someone at the visa office say, but I'm an American. And in some cultures, that might work. <laughs> um, other cultures, not so much. So I'm going to contrast. I remember, and I'm sorry I see Daniel over here, a dear friend from, from China here, and I remember one of the times we went back into China as a family, and we brought a bunch of, okay, now this will date me, um, video cassettes. <laughs> um, TV shows like Sesame Street and uh, musicals, TV shows and the Giants in the Super Bowl, things that we were going to watch many, many, many times while grading papers at the university where I taught, listening to Pat Summerall and John Madden describe how the Giants would win the Super Bowl. So much so that I could even give the script oftentimes. <laughs> but we were carrying a bunch of these videotapes into uh, the country and got to the customs officer, and lo and behold, there's only a limit of five per family, and we had 12. Okay, so how am I going to do this? I've been in the country long enough to know what I should or should not do. And so I started to play the Abraham game. Um, how about six? Can I just take one more? Okay, you can take six. Well, you know, seven is just one more than six. If we could just, can, would it be okay if I had seven? Now, what I was about to do, I would not have done later on in Thailand. In Thailand, if you raise your voice, you might as well sign off on getting any treatment, any positive treatment. The louder you get in Thailand, the less you are going to get what you want. But in China, that may not always be the case. And so I started to, I, I got up to eight, okay? And at that point, I realized I was getting no more. And I said, what are you going to do with these tapes? And they said, well, we're just going to throw them away. I said, well, okay, fine, great. Can I just see them? And I ripped each one of them and tossed them at them. They got really mad at me and threw them back at me and said, just get out of here. So I took them back, spliced them together, and had all 12 of my tapes. <laughs> Now, again, I would not do that in another culture, but I knew what I could do in that culture at that time. Uh, the ugly American is, is a phrase that's often used. We come in and we say, I have my rights. I'm an American. When we come into this message today, I want you to think about how we do that with God sometimes. And I want to take, have us adopt a posture of humility as we come into God's presence in His Word. Because today we're going to be talking about praying for our enemies. And this is not something that we do naturally, is it? And I want to think about how this, how do we actually do this? And why do we do this? And, and two weeks ago when Tony was talking about, I mean, when Nick was talking about praying in silence and, you know, that quiet place and, you know, the desert fathers used to say, pray until you pray. Come into God's presence 
okay, God, now you have me. Now we can commune. Because otherwise, you know how it goes. We come in and we, okay, God, let's pray. And now I move on to the next thing. And then last week, Tony talked about the power in Jesus' name. That power, that omnipotence. He is an all-powerful God. And he has so many things in his attributes. We come into his presence and we think about who he is, and that should impact how we speak to him and what we say to him. And so when we come into this passage on praying for our enemies, I want to be thinking primarily about who he is. Because when we take our sights off of who he is, we start focusing on ourselves or our enemy. And that's not where God wants our focus to be. I want to share a little bit of the story, and I'll start, and I'll finish it at the end of the, the message here, but tell the story about uh, one of the uh, women that we ministered to in, in, uh, with in uh, India. And um, when I first became an area leader for Pioneers, my role was to oversee all of our church planning teams from Vietnam to India. And the very first opportunity to exercise some authority was to appoint a team leader for India. Now, I my supervisor, my regional leader, John, and I traveled into India. We met with the team. I met with each individual on the team. We met with the team as a whole, and we came to a consensus, I thought, with who the team leader was supposed to be. Went back to Thailand, finished some paperwork, some proper procedures and all, sent out the email announcing who was going to be the team leader. Very soon afterwards, I got an email from Beth. Some of my students have heard this story, and I like uh, the way I describe this email is, if you could have printed it out, it probably would have come out in ashes because it was so hot with anger towards me. She not only was not happy with my decision, which we had talked about, she attacked my character. She said all kinds of hateful things to me. Clearly, I had become an enemy to her, and if I'm honest with myself, she quickly became an enemy to me. What would you do with an email like that? In this day when uh, social media, it's, it's amazing how quickly our friends become our enemies. And so we want to talk a little bit about who is our enemy and, and how do we treat those people. So if you have your Bible, let's start with the key passage, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. The ushers are coming down. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give this to you as a gift. Make sure that everyone has God's Word available. And when you get that Bible, you can turn to Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Chapter 5 is part of the um, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving. So it is Jesus who's speaking. And so we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Let me go ahead and read. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, now it's interesting in God's word about six years or so ago, I, every year I read through the Bible, and um, every year I have a different theme. And about six years ago I had the theme, some of you have heard this before, of all the buts, single T, in the Bible. <laughs> all the times where you find a but God, or God says but, you know, and here's a great example of it. Look at verse 44 again. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your, peop your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a pretty high bar for us, isn't it? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do that on our own strength. We need to rely on God's strength, God's power, God's, in all of his multifaceted glory. How else are we going to even live out this thing? This is one of the things that will distinguish us as Christians from the rest of the world, how we treat our enemies, how we treat those who don't treat us the way we would want to be treated. And, it, and if we're going to start, we have to ask the first question is, who is my enemy? Just as the question was answered, who is my neighbor? Who is my enemy? And all too often, we make those who are closest to us our enemies. It's, it's, isn't it something how someone can do something that you don't like, and all of a sudden, that person is against me? No, that person actually is just your boss wanting you to do your job. <laughs> no, that driver is actually just trying to get on the highway, and if you would just ease up a little bit, they could get on the highway. And we get into this... We go into extremes, don't we? I love this person. I hate this person. What happened? It might just be a minuscule thing. That is not what we're talking about here. Making someone a perceived enemy. One of the things I'm going to lean on pretty heavily for this message is R.T. Kendall's book called Total Forgiveness. And he defines an enemy in this way. What is an enemy? It is a person who either wants to harm you or who would say something about you so that you so as to call your credibility or integrity into question. They would rejoice at your downfall or lack of success. They would not pray that God would bless you and prosper you, but instead, they would sincerely hope that God would bring you down. An enemy is a person who hates you, although they would never admit to the word hate. An enemy is also a person who will take unfair advantage of you. They will despitefully use you. An enemy will often persecute you. Enemies will pursue you because they are obsessed with you. They may even feel that they are an instrument of God's will to use, uh, that he will use to put you in your place. Now, even as I'm reading that, who came to mind? Rhetorical, don't say any names. <laughs> okay. But in your mind, did you have someone in your mind as you heard that, either currently or in your past sometime, Someone that truly has been an enemy to you. Keep that person or those people in mind as we read through God's Word and, and think and talk about what this looks like for us. Sometimes it's harder to actually forgive those who hurt those that you love. Think about you know, the mama bear syndrome, if you will. Okay, you mess with me, that's a problem. You mess with one of my loved ones, We've got some words to have at best. This is going to get ugly. So even then, I want you to be putting yourself in a context. Is this relevant to me? I doubt that there's anyone in this room who hasn't at some point in time wrestled with this thought of this person being against me. Whether that person truly was or not, you perceive that person to be against you. For some people, it doesn't take much imagination. This person truly is or has been against me. What does God say about this? Second question that comes from this then is why should I pray for my enemy? And the obvious answer, even as Alex prayed and as we've sung, because we've been forgiven by God. 
at Romans 5, 6 to 8, which I was already quoted, verse 8, but let's look at this. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Here it is again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of God. We were against him. And what Christ made possible was for that reestablishing of shalom, that relational peace that God desires to have with every single one of us. There may even be someone in this room right now who has not yet entered into that shalom relationship with God. You are still against God because you don't know Jesus. Recognizing that when he died on the cross, he did so to pay the sin penalty that each of us owed. He paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. That would be a good time for an amen. How many of you in this room have been forgiven? What right do we have to not forgive others? That which we have been given, we need to give to others. We need to, to treat others as God would treat them. I mean, first, because he's, he's forgiven us. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Colossians 3, powerful chapter about how to live out our faith. Verses 12, 13, and 14 encapsulize how to treat others. Colossians 3, 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, there's a difference between bearing with and for, when do I bear with and when do I confront or when do I need to forgive? Uh, one of the things that I had to work through when I went to China the first time was my students, we'd, I'd go out to lunch with them in the dining hall, and, and oftentimes they're eating, they're flicking the rice into their mouth, and they're talking while they're eating, and the rice is falling out, and I'm, didn't anyone teach you how to eat? And maybe thinking, didn't anyone teach you how to talk while you're eating a meal? This is a time for me to bear with, because this is a cultural thing. Now, if those students were then preparing to come to the United States, then I might say, you know what, it might be good for you to learn this little bit about how we eat our meals at our home. We typically eat and keep our mouths closed while we're chewing. Then we talk. That's bearing with. Forgiving is a different thing, though. And it says here very clearly, bear with each other. Forgive, how are we to forgive? As the Lord forgave you. He did so as an act of his love, but primarily to bring glory to himself. And herein is a big point I want to try to help us see very carefully. When we think about forgiving one another, it is less 
so about our relationship. It is more so about God getting glory. If you are struggling with forgiving someone or praying for an enemy, my guess is it's because you're focusing on this relationship more than this relationship. Because if I think about my relationship with God and how he forgave me, shouldn't that make it easier for me to forgive those around me? As I take the eyes off of myself and my enemy and focus more on God. So first of all, why should I pray for my enemy? Because I've been forgiven by, for, by God. Secondly, because it's an act of forgiveness in my own heart. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. One of the things you notice about most of these verses that we're looking at is that they are in the second half of Paul's epistles. Typically in Paul's epistles, he starts with the theological part and then he gets to the practical part. So here we are again in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You want to think about how to get rid of that bitterness, that rage, that anger that is within you? Release it to God as you forgive that person and begin to entrust that person into God. Now, R.T. Kendall, in his book, Total Forgiveness, talks about three different levels of forgiveness. And I'm going to put these on the screen. I want you to think about this because as you think about that person, ask yourself, have I truly gotten to that third level of what, we, what he calls total forgiveness? In the first level, first type of forgiveness, he calls it detached forgiveness. There is a reduction in negative feelings toward the offender, but no reconciliation takes place. Second, limited forgiveness. There is a reduction in negative feelings toward the offender, and the relationship is partially restored, though there is a decrease in the emotional intensity of the relationship. And finally, full or total forgiveness, there is a total cessation of negative feelings toward the offender, and the relationship is fully restored. When you see that person, does something rise up within you in terms of bitterness or rage or anger, then you haven't gotten to what he calls total or full forgiveness. I had someone come up to me after the first service who shared with me how she had a, her best friend betray her, not once, not twice, but three times. And she said, that's it, I'm done with that, this relationship. And her friends encouraged her to do the same as well. She shared with me how she began to pray for that person for a full year and how God reconciled and restored that friendship so they are friends once again. This is not something that takes place in a moment. It's a decision that's, a, that's made in a moment, but it takes a, a while to get to this point where you are, what's going on in your heart when you meet this person? Do you avoid this person? Where is God going to get the most glory? How does this differ from what the world does? How are they going to see Jesus Christ in the way that I treat the person that is against me? It's not just a matter of mercy. That's a removal of what they deserve. There's also an act of grace. How can I ask God to bless this person? And to be honest, that's not something we do naturally, is it? I want to turn to a longer passage here. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. And again, this is the beginning of the practical section of Paul's epistle to the Romans. In chapter, chapter 12 comes after chapter 11, 
It's kind of nice how that happens. But at the end of chapter 11, you have this wonderful doxology, praising God for who and how his mind is beyond our, his thoughts are beyond ours and all that. And then you get to chapter 12, verse 1, and it begins with the word, therefore. Since we know this is true about God, how should it impact the way we live in terms of living a spiritual sacrifice to God? Well, in verse 9 through 21, I want to take the time to read this whole passage and just listen to how we are to how we're able to glorify God in our relationships. Romans 12, 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Listen to verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me stop for a moment. You can do everything right, by the way, and it makes no guarantee that the other person will respond the right way. That's not your responsibility. The other person is not your responsibility. You're responsible for yourself. In as much as is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge my dear brothers, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This idea of putting coals on their heads is like in stark contrast to what they would do to you, do something nice to them. And again, it, it, at, at some point in time, the enemy become, begins to look silly, thinking, this person is treating me so nicely, how, why, don't, why am I still holding on to my anger against that person? That's sort of our goal in treating the other person, secondarily, to bless them, primarily, to get glory to God. How are they going to see the difference between the way we handle our enemies and the way everyone else handles their enemies? One of the books that uh, Carol and I use for, we, we, we co-teach a class on um, the Christian home, on dating, marriage, and parenting. The dating part gets a lot more enthusiasm initially on campus. But one of the books that we use is Gary Thomas's book called Sacred Marriage. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to be happy? And he goes on, he makes the point that in marriage you have an opportunity to show love when, how are you going to show unconditional love if your spouse always meets the conditions? And so your spouse actually gives you opportunities to show Christ's love or to show mercy or to show grace. My students know that I typically don't give exams. I give opportunities. <laughs> and they say, oh, Dr. Ed, if it looks like an exam, writes like an exam, 
It's an exam. Okay, true. But it's also an opportunity for you students to demonstrate to me what you've learned and for me to see how well I've taught. Your enemies are also an opportunity for you to display God's glory by showing mercy and love and praying for them. How are you going to be able to have an opportunity to show that if you don't have those people in your life? Can you even say, God, thank you for bringing this person into my life, for giving me the opportunity to display Jesus Christ in a way that I did not have before? Those are easier words to say, oh, I hope I can say that someday. Obviously, much more difficult to live that out. It's only when we continue to remind ourselves that it's not just about my feeling better, but it's more about giving glory to God. So how do we do this? How do we find the power to do this? In what power and in what manner can we actually pray for our enemies? Well, Ephesians 5.18, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Again, the second part of Paul's epistle, this one to the Ephesians again. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What Paul's doing here is making an, uh, the analogy here of what's it like to be under the influence of alcohol? Well, I've been told and seen that we don't typically do things that are natural when we're under the influence of alcohol. Similarly, we don't do things that are natural to us when we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I would like to challenge us to not DUI, but PUI, praying under the influence this is not natural to us. To pray for my enemies, to pray God's blessing upon them, comes only from the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And to the extent that we allow that to happen, to that extent, God will get glory in how we pray for our enemies. We need God's power to forgive others and to pray for them. We need to be able to come to a point of accepting His forgiveness and granting His forgiveness. The power to forgive is also the power to, release from, to be released from anger. But not only in his power, we also need to think about how and what manner we're going to pray. And the first thing is to ask God for help. But the second thing is, is then to talk to him rather than to others. One of our biggest temptations in our strength, in our own natural power, is that we want to make the other people feel bad or at least have other people feel badly about them. And so that we talk to others about our enemies when we should be talking to God. Now, there are appropriate times for you to talk to someone, but please try to think about making that one person who can responsibly hear and help you process. And ask yourself, what is my reason for talking about my enemy with this other person? Is it to make this person share, share my anger? That's a problem. Is it to help me think through how to love that person? That's, that's a God-given conversation, a God-glorying, God-honoring conversation. We need to be able to trust him with what he is doing. Remember, vengeance is his, not mine. Can I trust this person into God's care? R.T. Kendall says, wrote, sometimes we say, in effect, I forgive you for what you did, but I hope you feel bad about it. But God has a way of making bad things become good. 
This then is total forgiveness, not wanting our offenders to feel guilty or upset with themselves for what they did and showing them that there is a reason God let it happen. Total forgiveness involves an additional element, praying for God's blessings to reign on the lives of your offenders. When you do this as Jesus intends it, you are being set free indeed. Joe Carter wrote, so what do I pray? What do I actually pray? Tell me, what should I pray for these people? Because I already know I don't want to, but I know that I should. But what do I actually pray? Well, first of all, pray for their, their relationship to God. If they're unbelievers, pray for their salvation. If they have... If, if they don't know Christ, their greatest need is for salvation, regardless of what the offense is against you. And really, if they come to Christ, isn't that going to be the best way to see them transformed? Not through anything we do in our own strength, but what God will do in them as, as he comes into their lives. Secondly, pray that the evil that they do may be restrained by God. Pray that they will receive divine justice from God. And I would also add, pray that God will bless them by drawing them closer to him. As you see these things and you think about the person in mind, is there a dissonance there? Are you, are you able to let go and say, okay, God? Or are you still holding on to that anger where, and I hear the word you're saying, I just can't do that. If that's where you are, Forget the other person and spend time with God because that's where the issue is right now. You will not be able to really come into a God's presence praying for someone else until you are able to come to God directly yourself and say, God, I've got some issues in my life that I need to deal with and please help me with this. Do we have the humility to acknowledge that, to recognize that in our own lives? To hold the mirror up and say, I've got my own sin I have to deal with here. When, when I got that email from Beth, and I remember it, ashes coming out of the printer, anger. What I'm about to share with you is one of those rare moments where I can say, but God, and I one of the best things I did was to not do anything immediately. It is so easy to react and sometimes so difficult to wait to respond. But then I wrote to her, and, and this clearly came from the Holy Spirit. I wrote to her and I said, Beth, I can see that you're angry. <laughs> it wasn't that hard. <laughs> but as a brother in the Lord, I deserve better than this. I, deserve to have a, I want to have a conversation with you. So would you please write your letter to me again as a brother in the Lord so that I can treat you as the sister in the Lord and we can have this conversation? She did. And we did. And while our relationship went from here down to here, I would say that it went higher than it was before because of that process that we went through. And I would dare say that in this room, you have, some of you have experienced that. I would also dare say that some of you need to experience that. That when you thought about who that person was, that person might actually be in this room right now. That within our own families, biological, ecclesiastical, 
Sometimes we create enemies in our own minds that are between us and those who are closest to us. There are also people outside of our oikos, our usual realm of influence, that are clearly against us. It's really hard to be against someone from a distance, isn't it? It's those who are closest to us that we feel most hurt by. And we need to remember, especially for those who are brothers and sisters of the Lord, that they are, in fact, my brother or my sister in Christ, and I need to treat them as such. I have five brothers, one sister, as I've shared before, um, best friends, worst enemies, sometimes multiple times in the same day <laughs> growing up. Shared a bedroom with a couple of them or one of the different times. I can remember one time, I won't name which brother it was, just in case he gets a copy of this recording. <laughs> he had a record player and listened to, he had a very special record, Credence Clearwater Revival. Anybody remember CCR? <laughs> Dated, okay, sorry, guilty. He accused me of listening to his CCR record, which I hadn't. He got in my face, and he was red with anger. This was even before I became a Christian. And I sat there, and I just stood there, and I didn't get angry at him, and he didn't know what to do, so he punched me. <laughs> my brothers and my sisters, it doesn't matter how well you do it. There are no guarantees. What's on me is how I respond and what I do with those in front of me and in my heart. I want to bring this to the practical here and ask you a couple of questions. First of all, are you able to sit in God's grace and mercy? Some of us actually struggle with that. Can you receive from God and not say, oh, yeah, but you don't know, God, what I've done? Yes, he does, more than we do ourselves. How dare we sometimes say to God, Oh, you can't forgive me for what I've done. What an insult to Jesus Christ. So number one, can you actually receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness? Because until you're able to receive that from him, how are you possibly going to be able to share that with others? Secondly, can you trust God to deal with your enemy? This is a hard one, isn't it? But can you really release that person and say, God, you deal with this person in the way that you see fit? Because if I try to do it, it's not going to come out well. And will you seek his glory even in this? If your purpose is to relieve yourself of responsibility or the anger or all those things which are true, if that's your purpose, you are coming up way short of what God wants. Think about the cross and how many of God's attributes come together at the cross. In the concept of forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his omnipotence. He is so powerful that he raised his, that Jesus was risen from the dead. His omnipresence, not only is he here with me, he's wherever your enemy is, able to do what he wants to do. So when we look at forgiveness, praying for your enemies, how are we going to possibly do this unless we think about who God is? Who he is helps me to think about how I become more like Christ as I become more like Christ, I will live as Christ lived. 
So what does this actually look like? Here, we want, every week we try to make this practical for you. So here are some steps for, for you to think about this coming week. Number one, make a list of those you need to forgive. Maybe the first one on the list might even be yourself. It may even be God. You might be blaming God for something that's come into your life. You might have to get right with him. Not that he needs your forgiveness, but that you need to proclaim to him who he is and remind yourselves of who he is. So make a list. Secondly, next to each name, write down how you can pray for that person. Pray through that list three times this week. Remember, this is not instantaneous. It's a process. And you can begin that process this week. After the third time, sit with God and listen to him. Allow him to speak to you about each person on your list. Some of you know that in our, back, in our backyard, we have a, a, prayer, a swing. I call it my prayer swing. I've had over the past 20, 25 years, wherever we've lived, we've had a swing that I call my prayer swing where I can go and sit there. And as I pray for the people that I'm praying through on my list, God, speak to me about this person before I speak to you about this person. What do I need to hear from you about this person? Especially this person with whom I am so angry right now. And then let me pray to you for this person. And thank God for freedom through forgiveness. What I'm asking you to do, I know, is difficult. Dare I say impossible, apart from Christ. But it is also one of the most God-honoring, God-glorifying things that we could do. And the thing it is, there may be no one around you who knows that you do this. This is between you and God. You don't have to say what you've been doing. God knows. I'm going to close our time here. Before I pray, I'm going to take 60 seconds for us to be silent before God. During which time... I want God to put on your heart one or more names that he wants you to pray for in this manner this coming week. If a name comes up, don't dismiss it. Allow God and his Holy Spirit to have your thoughts during these next 60 seconds, and then I'll pray. Let's get before God.
Father, we are in your presence. Help us to be able to hear from you. Please speak to us. Help us to grow in our understanding of what we have received from you, that we might grow in our ability and desire to bless others in the same way. May you be glorified in our lives and how we live out the salvation that we've been given and how we interact with those that love us and those who do not. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Have a great week living this truth out. Amen.